anywhere. This lovely lady has got some uh, ex exciting things to share with us about how she feels called to love our two nations. And so this is Lauren Hofitz. I'm not going to steal your thunder, Lauren. Uh, over, <laughs> over to you. Um, Jasmine, before you put slides on, just, I just want to say that this worship that we've been singing, you know, about God and God's got a glorious plan and He's with us. And, you know, it's so true. We cannot do anything without God. It doesn't matter what you try. You're going to fail if it's not in His plan. Um, just to give you a bit of a background before, I'm going to share. A lot of people have said to me, oh, why haven't you shared? Have you gone? Have you come back? What's happening? Um, I have gone. I came back in February. <laughs> Um, it's a bit of a different ministry that I do at this point in time. Um, just to give you a background for those that don't know, I served on Dulas for about six years. And so I was in full-time ministry before and then came back home. And long story short, I um, am now helping with Logos Hope twice a year. Um, why I call it an odd ministry is because most people go and spread the word. For me, I have to come and train the people to go and spread the word if that makes sense. But not just the training in biblical studies or, um, theology or drama or whatever that they use. It's to train them in their actual crew training. Because it is a ship, you have to have specific technical training by law to go and um, sail. Otherwise, they cannot do it. So everybody has to go through it. So that's what I go and do. Um, it's also non, not paid, so I have to go from my work. But just the ministry that I am involved in, you can start this line. <laughs> I'll just talk while you, there's pictures going up. That's Logos Hope. Um, yeah, she's in, at the moment in Uruguay in Drydock. Um, they do their yearly maintenance where they take the ship out the water. This is the team of trainers that we do. Um, basically, it's a bunch of captains and myself. I am the rose amongst the thorns. <laughs> um, we do a lot of courses. We do firefighting, pool training, um, you'll see they do weird and wonderful things they have to do. We do security, we do crowd control, um, and then we do survival at, at sea because obviously we don't want anybody drowning, hopefully, and we want to let them know what they're doing. Some of them are very scared, and a lot of these courses, we, if you can always remember when I go, that you pray for safety, especially for people. As you can see, they're jumping into the water. We always have to get a place where there's a, a pool that's deep enough or, you know, safety with fire. Some of them have never even seen a fire hose or a, or a fire extinguisher, and they all have to do it, physically put out fires. Look, we have people around <laughs> to take care of things if, if things go wrong. But even you see the little kids, shame they like to get involved, and we try and encourage them, obviously from a certain age, just so that they're not scared if something happens, that they were better aware. Put them in their fireman suit, they enjoy that so that they can, you know, feel all, I don't know, proud. We do first aid, um, teaching them basic first aid that there is a doctor on board, but if there is need, that they can basically help their friends if they need to. Now, a ministry, like I said, that I can get involved in while I, other than teaching a class, writing exams, is the local people. Oh, it's, it's such a thing for me. When we go, we, we go off the ship for about a week and a half to do actual courses. Um, we need the pool. We don't have a pool. We have the sea. Um, but we go and do actual courses um, at, at a training camp or something. So there are always local people that are cooking for us or cleaning for, for us if we need to have it or cleaning the rooms. And those are the people that I like to go and touch base with because people always forget them. They forget that they are serving us and we can say thank you. Now, a lot of them don't speak the language. Most of the time it's Spanish at the moment because it's South America. But let me tell you, I improved my whole sign language and my few words of Spanish that I got. And 
I've made a, you know, you, you make an impact to just talk to them and they want to know what's different about you and how important that is. And the other thing you saw there was the Navy, um, the Naval, that was in Colombia actually, but we have a lot of Naval bases that come on board. Oh, and it's all nice to see the big guys coming in their white uniform and they come on there. Now they are seafarers that usually don't know Jesus. And we try and show them that we are seafarers that do and that we have, we're living a different life that doesn't have to live the whole crazy one that they do, um, but that we can still love God and work, you know, because it is hard for them to work out there. It is very hard, but that is a big ministry that I like to because I'm a seafarer myself. Um, three prayer requests that you can pray for us. Um, like I said, the ship's in dry dock. Please just keep it in your mind that the maintenance will go well. Um, and then for people to to join. Um, a lot of the young people nowadays, they want to go study and go work. And we have, you know, there's not a lot of people with a good heart that actually wants to serve in missions for free, work for free. Who wants to do that? But it's not about that. It's about serving God. So just pray that people, that God will bring up people from the different nations to serve him. Um, the other thing is my next uh, place I'm going to in September is Brazil. So please pray that everything <laughs> works out for that. Um, there's always hiccups sometimes along the way, but if God wants you there, he's going to put you there. And then the last thing, please keep me in your prayers. Um, the ship is wanting me to go into training more and longer periods, but not full time at the moment. So that means I go away for longer times and it's almost impossible right, having a normal job and going away for time. Yeah, it's a bit of chaos and God knows, he knows what's, what's in his plans for me, but I just, yeah, if you can just pray that, he shows me because right now I feel like I've got my fingers in a whole bunch of pies yeah, and I just don't know if I'm, you know, where I'm supposed to go. So if, if he wants me to go for longer, then he must just show me and open doors for an, a job that's flexible here. And for my son, you know, then I have to leave him for longer. And it's just, it is a difficult choice to make. So if you can just keep me in your prayers for that. And yeah, you can talk to me afterwards if you want to. Thank you. Wait, 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 one moment. So the reason why Lauren's sharing is, is a couple of reasons. One is, is there anybody here that feels stirred for the nations and you want to get involved with the ship, come chat to her. The second is, if you've got a unique skill, you might not have a preaching gift. It doesn't matter. God can use you. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. Hers is not letting people die. I think that's quite an important one. And then the third is today is, is she's really sharing her heart and she's trying to process how God is calling her. And so I'm going to ask us to take a moment particularly to pray for you, Lauren, and for the leadership of the Spirit in the future that he has for you. Father, this morning we want to thank you for the blessing that Lauren has been able to be to many who will take the word of God to people who need it. And we thank you for the encouragement that she has been. And we pray right now, Lord, for great wisdom for her future, that, Lord, you would, by the Spirit, give her a real sense of discernment of what the will of the Lord is, that you would confirm it in your words with godly wisdom. And, Lord, we're asking, God, that you would just show her which door is opening wide, in her future that your hand is on. And uh, God, as we wait patiently, we thank you, God, you're in control. You know the timing, you know the date, you know the place that Lauren has in your kingdom and her son too. And so we trust in you to reveal that and we wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a word for Lauren, uh, come chat to her. I'm sure she'd love it to keep her in prayer. All right. I'm going to give you a crash course on, uh, don't laugh, you guys are already doubting my capacity to finish in half an hour. I know you. I know you. You know me too. That's the problem. Hey, Acts chapter 20, verse, 
28. That is the scripture we're looking at, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And we pushed pause two weeks ago to preach on an important topic that um, we actually, I don't think we haven't done in a long time, um, but we just felt it necessary to bring some clarity. Um, but what was going to be preached two weeks ago was something that had been set months before, which is Building Committed Community Part 6 on eldership. <laughs> so today, uh, we are simply continuing uh, where uh, we were going to two weeks ago, and somehow I think God is weaving this all together, and so I'm hoping that this morning uh, we have a, a new understanding of how we build committed community through leadership, and for many of us, hopefully it will answer some questions and also bring some great security, um, and if you're looking into SBC, you've come at the perfect time because this is who we are as a church, and um, if you can take that off, sorry, that will make no sense right now, Jazz. Um, and we'll get to that in a moment. All right. So the first thing is, um, we feel we need to press on with what God has for us. And uh, to give a quick summary to catch us up, we believe God is calling us to love in three ways. Can we all say it together? To love. Oh, come on, come on, come on. To love. To love. To love. That's it. And to love up, we believe that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the marks is we need to pursue life in the Holy Spirit. And... Um, the Spirit leads us into salvation. The Spirit leads us into community. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that the Spirit baptizes us and puts us into the body of Christ. Have a quick look around. Everybody, don't be awkward Westerners. Have a quick look around and smile. This is the body of Christ that the Spirit himself has put you in. And what's important is we say that if you want to know, if you're walking by the Spirit, one of the marks of this Holy Spirit in your life is that your love grows for these lovely people next to you. And across the world. What Lauren is doing is not out of cold duty because she wants to dive into ice cold water. She does it because she loves God's church and believes in the mission of God's church, which is to take the gospel to the world. And that is the mark of the Holy Spirit's leadership on your life and mine is that we have an ever-increasing loving in. And a part of that expression is building committed community. And we spent three weeks preaching on spiritual gifts. I hope you all feel the dignity of what it means to be a part of what God is doing here. That every person has a spiritual gift and is called to use it. Ah, but the question is now, who determines how those gifts get used? If you think about it, those spiritual gifts, there's gifts of prophecy, there's gifts of teaching, there's gifts of healing, there's gifts of faith, there's gifts of discernment and, and word of knowledge. Who orchestrates the life of what God deposits through people and the gifts in the church? And this morning, we want to... A very simply point out to you, it's a profound thing, I've never seen it this way before, is the Holy Spirit saves, grafts you into the church, and then he appoints leaders to oversee the well-being of the church. And that's where I want to start with Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 48, I think it was, 28, where it says, pay careful attention, Paul's talking to a group of elders over the church of Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so the Spirit not only gives the people into the church by means of salvation, gives them gifts, but then gives leaders as gifts to the church to oversee her functioning. And you might be asking, well, how does this fit in with me? Well, it does a lot. It's because in the church, how does authority flow? And authority in the modern day is a, is a swear word. As a 21st century human being, we've seen authority abused, we've seen authority neglected, and what is the godly model that God institutes by the Spirit in the life of the church to make sure that she is entering into an ever fuller expression 
of Christ. And it's important because we have our AGM coming up in June, so we need to know what we're talking about when we're talking about elders. So quickly, where do elders come from? From the Old Testament? They're just there. They don't tell us what their responsibilities are exactly. We know they govern over specific aspects. But we see that in the New Testament, elders first come up in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, and they just appear. In church history, no one really knows how they came about, but we know it was by the appointment of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul is able to say that looking back, these men have been set apart for the welfare, for the care of the church. And so it was certainly not flippant. It was certainly not arbitrary. These appointments of elders, we know, were by the Holy Spirit. And from Acts chapter 11, verse 30, elder-led congregations were clearly the norm. If you read your New Testament, you'll notice Paul and Barnabas put elders into every single church they planted, Acts chapter 14. He told Titus, who was leading the church planting movement in Crete, he said, Titus, put everything in order. Appoint elders over every congregation. And so every congregation could exist without deacons, could exist without small group leaders, but it could not exist without elders. And as the church grows, so the leadership structure has to grow with it. And might I point out to you today that the glory of this office is even in heaven. In Revelations chapter 4, verse 4, there are elders in heaven, the 24 elders. They are before the throne of God on 24 thrones. And we're not sure if they're angelic or if they're representatives of, 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 of the earth. 12 elders for Israel, 12 elders for the Gentiles, the 12 tribes plus of Israel plus the 12 tribes of the Gentiles represent the whole uh, community of God. But even in heaven, this eldership's position is eternal. It's given the dignity of the past, dignity in the present, and dignity in the future. Now you can pop up that uh, table. I will be careful not to take anybody's retina out with this thing, but anyway, we'll see. All right. So by the end of the New Testament, this is how leadership structure works in the local church. Is over the church, we see we have Jesus Christ. And in one Colossians 1 verse 18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. My friend, we worship the head. His name is Jesus. We don't worship any man. We don't worship any personality. We don't even worship any ministry. Everything exists for the glory of the Son of God. And all authority over the church, it says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to who? To? To Jesus. He is over the church. He is the authority through which the church functions. Now, within the church, there are elders, deacons, and saints. And Philippians chapter 1 gives clearly the composite picture of what every local church looks like. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Notice, who comes first in that order? All the the saints. Why do leadership structures even exist in the church? Because of you. Do you know what saints mean? It means to be set apart for God. And so these, these saints in the church, they are the priority. And notice that overseers and deacons are saints. There's an equality here in the church. All are equal before the head, Jesus Christ. All are members of the same body, have the same spirit, have the same word of God. Isn't that awesome? That as saints, we come together and the saints are the ones that are the priority. Everything that is arranged is arranged so that these saints can be trained to be set apart for God. For Jesus, the groom, here's his bride, the church. Oh, and at the end, whoops, there we we go, with the overseers and deacons. He just kind of mentions them as an afterthought. (laughs) They're part of the saints, but they are there. 
and they're there because the saints are there, and they're there for the well-being of the saints. Can I just point out to you this morning, there is something that is very, very important you must understand, and I must understand this morning, is that according to the New Testament, we are the priesthood of all believers. What that means is this, is you don't need any man or woman to act as your intermediary before God. Can I say that again? You don't need any man or woman to act as your intermediary before God. You have access as Christians directly to the throne room of heaven. You don't need anybody, and I'm just going to point out the difference between what the Reformation did compared to the, the, the Catholic Church. Is the Catholic Church is built on the premise that the priest becomes the means of grace. He represents the church. So you go to confession in order to say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. You receive the, the literal communion through the priest. We believe, no, no. Jesus is our high priest, and the glory of what God achieved in Jesus Christ was to give dignity to every believer so that any of you here this morning can approach Christ directly, not through me. Now, what that means is as well is that everybody here takes ownership for the church. There is not one man or woman that is more special than the other. All have equal spiritual gifts. All have an equal part to play. And unless everybody picks up their role of serving in the house of God, the house of God cannot be fully functioning and the body cannot be fully functioning and so these overseers and deacons overseers are servant leaders deacons are leading servants they are men and women that have proven themselves and their love for the church and have been acknowledged by the church as a gift in their in their loving uh, uh, laying down and sacrificial service and the elders are there acknowledged by god as servant leaders they are serving who the saints and then there's this outside here this is quite important. We see that there's a Paul and Timothy that's engaging with the rest of the church. And so there is a place for translocal ministry. It is some guys call it the apostolic. We will say if they're talking about the apostolic, it's with a small a. There is a, a New Testament a, a apostleship that cannot be uh, imitated. But you do get men and women well, particularly men who are gifts to the church. We've had a few in our church, and we're going to have more. Uh, a Rigby Wallace, a, a Taryn uh, Williams, um, they are, there's Steve Van Rain. You get these men that provoke the church to mission and ensure that she is um, growing into the fullness um, through their gifts and their experience. They become helpful um, advisors and uh, partners for the gospel. Now, it's important that these guys are only available to the church by standing invitation of the elders. They don't have any right to tell us what to do. They don't have any right to tell us where to go. The elders are responsible for the local church. And the way that these guys operate is by a standing invitation to say, hey, we recognize this relationship and partnership around the same doctrine, direction, and values, and we're available to help you. That, my friend, is how leadership works in the local church. Christ the head. Inside, we have overseers and deacons that help set apart the saints for Christ. And then we have help of these gifts to the church, which are translocal ministries under the standing invitation of eldership. Got it? Pretty straightforward, right? So what I want to talk about here today, thank you, you can take it off, is what is the role of this eldership appointed by the Spirit for the well-being of the church? Why do they exist? Well, the first is this, is that we see that there are three interchangeable terms for elders. The first is presbyteros, which means elder. So if you look at, you want to stand for us, Pierre? Elder, how old are you? 
61. I think that's a lie. You disqualify as an elder. Don't worry. I won't expose you. Episcopos, which is an overseer or bishop, and poimen, which means shepherd or pastor. And the reason why the New Testament uses these three terms interchangeably is because it defines beautifully how an elder is to serve the saints. And the first is an elder. What is that term elder, the first of the three? Scripture never points to age. Can I point out some of the teenagers here? Do you know Charles Spurgeon was leading a church at 16? Wow. What it does point to is example. In other words, when you look at an elder, does this man represent an example of Christ that can give you... He's not perfect. God forbid. Nobody's perfect. I have to say sorry often. But the point is this. There's enough confidence that when you look at his life, and this is important because we are going to be bringing some prospective elders potentially to the church, is you can say, I can see enough of Christ in this man to trust him fulfilling the qualifications of, of leadership. Now, how do you know that is through the way he lives. How do you know somebody has a right doctrine? Well, they have a right life. There is a, 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 an outworking of the Word of God. And so that's the thing. Is t- Timothy was my age in the New Testament, they say. He was classified as young. Yes. He was uh, early 30s. But what did Paul say to him? He said, don't, look any, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example to the believers in faith, in life, in hope, in speech, and in purity. I didn't get those in the right order, but those are the five things. And so that's the first thing is the dignity is when you look at an elder, there must be spiritual maturity in this man before you that you can go, I can trust the character of Christ and I can trust the competency of how he handles the word. And so that is the first thing. The second is this, is overseer. And the reason why the scriptures use the term overseer is because it tells you what an elder is responsible for. He is responsible for quite a lot. And the way that uh, Paul talks about this is, is that he says, An elder must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? In other words, the elder as overseer is used as, or the analogy is as a husband as team leader over our households. Now, husbands, can I just point out to you what Scripture says you're responsible for in your home? With team leader, I mean, with with your teammate, your wife, is the first thing is you have to make sure that your family's on course, right? You have to make decisions about your future and your present. How many of you had to make big decisions about, do I change jobs? Do I change location? Do Do I invest in... You have to make some decisions around the direction of your home, not so? Now, I hope you did it in consultation with your wife, otherwise you're going to be coming for marriage counseling with Pierre. But the idea is this is that the, just like the husband has to take up, every team needs a leader, has to take up the responsibility. Or if you are mom, I want to say, and, and, and you don't have a husband for whatever reason, could be tragedy, could be whatever, is you are responsible as the parent for that home. So it's the direction. The second is, is the doctrine, and we call it faith at home. Can I say, parents, today, you are responsible for the nurturing of your child into the faith. No parent must delegate the responsibility of faith at home. The third is, is that there's discipline, right? <laughs> Any of you here grew up in homes? Yes. Have you experienced the discipline of a parent? I Hopefully. But can I say to you, it's, it's exactly the same. It's, it's discipline, but then there's also dollars. Is We have to make decisions as, as, as team leaders, as husbands, 
are responsible for our families about how we spend cash, how we're looking after our wives for the retirement, how we're looking after our children's education, the weight of responsibility of, of a husband and his father. It's big. Now, it's the same for the church, is that Paul says, just as a husband or father has to oversee the home, so elders are to be able to manage the church well. And that means the decision-making process and the final accountability before God is with these men. It doesn't mean they don't get help or advice or inputs, but it means that they will be held accountable for these areas of oversight. But the last thing is this, and it's a beautiful word that describes an elder. It's, it's shepherd, poimen. It's a pastor. And I mean, don't, don't think about pastor with a dog collar. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody's in the field. Have you ever shepherded sheep? You come, you know, you're from Switzerland. You know, Heidi, come on, anything of the, the goats, you know, the goats. <laughs> Can you yodel, Pierre? Come on. So, so this, is, this is the wonderful thing of we understand that there's a spiritual maturity, that the responsibilities, there's oversight as, as, as over a household. But the third is this is what must the feel of an elder be? It is the most humbling but the most important you see, I want to remind you, church, it's not what you do that's the most important as a Christian. It's how you do it. So even parenting, you can demand discipline from your child, but you can do it in such a way that you can crush the child. You might have the right goal, but if you don't do it wisely and achieve it in, the, in a godly way, it gets negated because there is a cost that should not be there in achieving what might in principle be right. And so for an elder... The call is to shepherd, and that means it is a way of leadership that is to be like Christ. It's even to be like God. What's the first line of Psalm 23? For some of us here who have been around, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus is called the chief shepherd. Can I, can I just call you to what an elder is called to in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 5? Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He's an apostle, but he sees himself as an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. This is a charge. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. But how? Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's the point, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. My friends, the feel of an elder is to feel like Christ. That's the call. And what shepherds do is they are not policy makers only. They know that there's things to be done, but what they do is they come close to the sheep and they keep their eye on the direction, but they also keep close to the sheep. And they do so in three ways. They are to guard the sheep. The sheep can I say to you, in, in, in normal BBC wildlife, if you're looking at, well, they're not wild, but in looking at the rural way of looking at it, is to be a sheep, is to be in danger of all the elements of the world around you. And so, and that is what the church is like. We are in the midst of this world, and there are many influences and forces that are potentially ravaging to the church. And so the first way elders are called to guard the church is through guarding against false teaching. 
I don't know about you, but how seriously do you take God's word? One writer says, the word of God is sacred and its true meaning should be safeguarded. Both truth and lies are powerful. Wonky doctrine produces wonky lives. Dangerous doctrine produces dangerous lives. Sound doctrine produces sound lives. Elders are to guard against outright heresy as well as unhelpful imbalances that can over time distort the truth and harm the flock. Paul himself said to those Ephesian elders by the Holy Spirit, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Do you know, as a follower of Christ, there is such a thing as an enemy? And elders are even to guard against themselves. It is not unusual in the very next verse, Paul says, from your own number, he says, in verse 30, he says, and among, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And therefore, he says in 1 Timothy 4, 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. The reason why there is more than one elder, there's a plurality or team of elders, is because sometimes, and it's historically precedent, is that one elder can follow a false teaching, which is the whole point of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. There were elders that had followed a false teaching and were damaging the flock. But secondly, this is sometimes an elder can go wayward, and the eldership is called to guard the flock even from the eldership. And I want to say to you today, no man is perfect. And that is why he needs brothers around him in leadership to point out what all of us by nature cannot always see. Then they also are to guard the church, the various doors of the church. They have to keep careful watch over the ministries, over the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the children's ministry, that they faithfully represent the doctrine. This is important, that they faithfully represent the doctrine, the vision, and the values of the church. And so they guard, they guide, which is to be lovingly leading God's people to good pasture and refreshing waters. And what we mean by that is Christ. Our job is to point you to Jesus, the great shepherd, whose pastures alone satisfy and his waters alone quench. Elders are never to be Christ. They are to point to Christ. Elders are never to be put on pedestals. They are to point to the one who has the only pedestal. Elders are never to be seen as a supplement of the Holy Spirit or for the Word of God or for Christ. They are to be conduits of grace which flows from the throne of God. That's what we do. We guide and we govern. And to govern means, have you ever watched sheep? By nature, they are not orderly. Nor are human beings. It's interesting to see the phenomenon of the social media movement where there is a sort of orderlessness in the way that people gather for marches. And the difficulty of leadership that's trying to address the problems is who do they speak to? Who was the one who started the movement? Who is the ringleader? How is the order and a possibility of being able to engage the flock if there is no leader? And, and sheep are naturally not organized. Human beings are not naturally not organized. I can testify to that. And so what the purpose of elders are is to bring order and governance. Now, that does not mean that there is any excuse for elders to be distant from the sheep. Can I say, where we are weak as a team is as a church grows, so the demands to be policymakers only and not with the people grows. The complexity of the church grows. And I want to point out to you that uh, our job as leaders is to ensure that leadership is coming up 
through the deacons, through small group leaders, through ministry leaders, through staff. These are people that are entrusted and are trustworthy in the way that they help the elders shepherd the flock well. But there's never any excuse for an eldership to be distant and unknown from the flock. And that is something that we have to constantly address. And lastly, I want to say, is eldership is called to sacrifice. The difference between a hireling and a shepherd is when things get tough, a hireling jumps ship. The difference between an elder is when God calls him to be an elder, he lays down his life and says, it is everything. And sometimes elders have to make very difficult decisions that would be uncomfortable and difficult by nature, but the call is to sacrificially serve those that God has entrusted to our care. And so, with the time that's remaining, I'm just going to point out a few things. Scripture always points to a team of elders. And so when something important comes to the church, you need to know it has been through nine, if you add three potential trainee elders onto the, the, around the table, 12 people's consciences before God. And that means that there has been a rigorous process of team coming to conclusions and decisions where Weaknesses are minimized and strengths are maximized. And the security of eldership is the security of plurality, is that on important decisions, there's unanimity. The lead elder has got no more rights than the rest of the team. He is a team with a leader. He's not a leader with a team. He is a first amongst equals. And he serves the team's welfare so that we function well for the church. Eldership is male, just as there is headship in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. There's a team leader called the Father. Just like in humanity, there was Adam and Eve. Even though Eve sinned, who fell? In Adam, there's headship. He takes the blame for her step because he didn't exercise the responsibility over her. In a household, the marriage team, the husband's the leader. And in the church, God's household, he's appointed elders, which are male. That does not mean they are any different in value. What it does mean is that they take responsibility in a different way, and accountability before God. And the purpose of eldership is to be spacious. It's to help the gifts in the church, whether you're male or female, operate fully. There will be females who will take the pulpits, and they will preach. They will preach as I do under the elders. There are people who will prophesy. They can be male and female. All the gifts are asexual. There is no specification around giftedness being male or female. But what is specified is, is there is a decision around doctrine, discipline, direction, or dollars. The ones who have to hold the accountability before God are the elders. And so authoritative teaching in the church and establishing these essentials which govern the church, we will bear the brand before God, and we must do so. And so how does it flow? A few minutes I've got left. Is that eldership is called to lead with the church. You might be wondering where we are going. We, are, we believe in elder-led congregationalism, meaning that the elders are entrusted through testing an appointment in the church and recognizing the, the Holy Spirit's appointment on their lives to make decisions. But those decisions are not done in an isolated form. When big decisions happen, it's taken to the church for their input. And as far as possible, as far as possible, we involve the feedback of our members. And that's what happened last year. We were going to appoint a congregational leader for our 6 p.m. service, and there was a handful of congregants who asked to meet, and they gave excellent, excellent input 
And after the input, we decided to can the position because what they said was right. There are times when we've had to apologize. There have been times when we have been able to be sharpened, encouraged, and dare I say, spurred on by feedback from the flock that we serve. There's an interplay of grace where we hold each other in high regards. The church, her leaders, and the leaders, the church, in their hearts. Now, I want to close on one more point. Three minutes to go. One of the, I asked a non-elder congregant, what do you want to hear tomorrow? What will be helpful for you about eldership? And the question was, how does eldership play out in my life? How does the authority of eldership speak to me personally? Well, the first is this, and it's very important, is that nowhere, if you only hear this, please would you just hear this, nowhere is there any other authority than the word of God in the church? No elder by nature of his status or position may say, ex cathedra, like the Pope. It is so. It's equivalent to scripture. No, no. Our source of authority of eldership is we lead from God's word. What does that mean for you? And what does that mean for the eldership? It means that the way that you follow the leadership of the eldership is never coercion is never just being told, you must believe, or you must do. You follow through conscience. If you look at Scripture, I'll read this to you. It is powerful. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2, it says, But we, this is Paul saying, have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, the currency of trust and the currency of faith to follow eldership is not coercion or blind uh, obedience. It's to go, persuade me by the word of God. Persuade my conscience that this is the right thing. There is this ground of authority that elders are to lead up from, not stand over, that we call the church to. And my friends, as the flock, you are welcome to wrestle through things because we want to lead you with a good conscience not a battered one. You with me? Eldership must never feel as though someone is holding a sort of, 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 of bludgeoning. I don't, what's a meat, meat pulverizer? Is that a good example of a bludgeoning? Yeah, yeah, a meat hammer. I've never used one of those, but I've seen it in a few movies. We never, that is not the feeling. You must feel led. You must feel that these guys are moving the church forward, and there must be a clarity where you can go, I either can agree with that or I can't agree. You can't be going, I don't actually understand what you're saying here. That's not helpful. But my friends, we are charged as elders to lead in such a way that through much effort and much love, we are able to persuade consciences. Now, why is that important? Because as an eldership, we have to lead with a good conscience. And I close with this. Why is that we should be able to persuade your conscience to follow in the direction that we feel God leading? Is because we must lead with a clear conscience before God. That is the whole thing. Is the reason why eldership is held accountable to God is because we understand that if we don't carefully lead the flock to Christ and carefully guard her in a way that honors Him, 
We will be held accountable to God. You don't ever have to worry to adjudicate eldership, my friend. Christ the King and the Chief Shepherd is going to point out on the day of judgment where we got it right and where we got it wrong. And so I want to say that because we do this in the fear of God, but I also say that we need the help of God to do this well. And we have to leave with clear conscience. So when you've got 9 to 12 men around the table, we have to make a decision. I tell you, we start with one position, and then it gets hammered through conscience, some that are sensitive, some that are not. People who have are these godly men who pray and seek the Lord. And at the end of it, we often come out on the, on the, on the end of it with a different place when we started. Might I say to you, we bear that before the Lord. And the reason why we want to lead you with a clear conscience is because we must have a clear conscience before God. And that is what Paul says here. He says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely towards you. And so, my friends, the writer of the Hebrews said, this is how it interplays. It's a beautiful thing. We don't do this flippantly. Hebrews 13 verse uh, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. But people forget the very next verse. It's this. Pray for us as leaders. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I want to ask you today that as an eldership, that you pray for us. Is that where there needs to be a sense of my conscience is not at peace, come to us. And might I say for anybody here who is not in a local church, might I just point out to you that the scriptures assume that you are. And the sweet spot of grace that will flow to your life is allowing the body to minister into your life through the gifts and for you to minister into the body through your gifts and to come under godly eldership that as best as possible, these men that are not Christ, seek with a clear conscience to do things all honorably before God for the sake of the church. And that's the feel. That's the participation. That's the flow of how building committed community grows. Everybody understand, we love you. It's a joy to serve you, SBC. And let's see what God does in our day together. Lord, we bless you for this time. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's wisdom in bringing us together and giving us the grace to participate in this community as saints, set-apart ones, provoked to mission, and serving in love. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, even as elders, Lord, we pray for grace from heaven to be able to lead well. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.